Good morning, everybody. The reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with this glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus prays for his disciples. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those who have, you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the, that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, that, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world, and more than I am of the world, any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify themselves, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus prays for all believers. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in, the, in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, and I am you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, 
that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have heard them even as you have, and have loved them even as you loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see me, see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Margaret. I wasn't sure who was going to be reading today. It is a long passage, so thank you very much. Well done. I like John's Gospel. Um, some people, some people, it's their, actually their favourite book in the Bible, but I've always struggled with John's Gospel from about chapter 13 through to the end of chapter 17. I'll be perfectly honest, I do get distracted when I read it. So the fact that I'm preaching today, I'm afraid, was an opportunity for me just to spend time in John 17. So I've learned a lot through the process, and I hope something of what I've heard and read and thought about I can pass on to you. But before I start, can I just pray very, very quickly? Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you that we have it available to us, and available to us in a language that we can understand. Heavenly Father, I pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, would guide me, and the words I may say may be your words. Lord, anything that isn't, just blow it away. And for those listening, Father, I pray that you would reach out to them and guide them, encourage them, prompt them, comfort them as necessary, that they would hear you today through what we read and talk about. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a little bit of context. Um, as I say, I chose this because I always find I struggle a little bit with John, and I wanted to really spend some time in John 17 today. Apparently, a chap called Thomas Manton, who was the chaplain to Oliver Cromwell, took 45 one-hour sermons to go through John 17. Now, that is a depth of understanding and preaching that I can't begin to imagine. So as deep and as profound as that may be, I'm afraid I'm only going to be dipping my little toe into it this morning. But hopefully we'll get something useful and helpful out of this. So my question to you is, how is your prayer life? Prayer is always a little bit mysterious, isn't it? And generally very private. Um, Charles Spurgeon made a quote that said, Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence, the muscle of the almighty. And um, there are some prayer warriors amongst us, and they're amongst us today. And if I was to use the analogy, I think some of them communicate on sort of G4 or G5, or 5G, rather, 4G, 5G. 
I'm in the world of semaphore, you know, that's kind of my level of prayer, I think. Now, we read in the Gospels of Jesus praying around 20 times, and we've had one of his prayers already this morning, the Lord's Prayer, we know it as. But this is a prayer that we read today of Jesus' last words before he is betrayed, interrogated, and taken away to be executed. These are his last words and his last request before his death that are actually written down. So I wonder what you'd be saying if you had your last request before you lost your life. Would it be of the nature of this prayer that we're going to look at today? Um, a little bit of context on the back of this. Um, this is uh, an evening, a very private dinner party. Jesus and his friends, his disciples, they've been together for three years. They've lived and worked together, they've spent time debating things, and they've spent time just discussing what Jesus has been doing with his words and his life for the last three years. He's talked about a kingdom of service and of love, and he's demonstrated that by washing his disciples' feet. Not something perhaps we do nowadays, but a very lowly task that he, as the leader of this group, has done for his disciples. He's predicted his betrayal by Judas. He knows that Peter, one of his best friends, is going to deny him, and he knows his death is coming. But he talks about his resurrection as well. And he leaves them in John 13, 34 with a command, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men and women will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He then goes on to explain he's going to be leaving them I mean, imagine how traumatic that is. They have spent basically 24 hours a day, three years solidly with Jesus, and he says, I'm off. How would you feel about that? How would you feel about your best friend just walking away after that? All the things they've been through, and he's going to turn away and leave them. But he then goes on to say that he's going to leave the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth for them, and that he finishes in closing... In John 16, 33, just before we come into our passage with this verse, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And I think there is a sense that we see the world in two contexts here. There is the world of global world, he has overcome the world. We know that he has authority over everything. But in the context which, with which the disciples are hearing him, he's hearing it in first century Roman-occupied Roman Israel. This is the social, political, economic environment in which they're operating. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So we're going to look at this passage, and I would, I'm breaking it up into three parts. Um, Margaret was good enough to tell us about the way the Bible split, and I'm going to use that same split. So verses 1 to 5, I'm going to talk about Jesus' mission and his uh, uh, request for glory. In verses 6 to 19, Jesus then looks to his apostles and talks about their mission and his request for their protection and their holiness. 
And then in verses 20 to 26, he then turns to his church of the future. And for us, brothers and sisters, that's you and me, our mission and our unity. And I want to spend a little bit of time on each of those. So let's just move on. Verses 1 and verse 5 are two ends of a time frame. In verse 1, Jesus says, After this, he looked up and said, Father, the hour has come. All the way through John's gospel, we read of the hour has yet to come, or my hour has not come, or my time has not come. Now, Jesus says, the hour has come. And what we are asked is, well, what is this hour? And, and it continues in verse 1 to say, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But in verse 5, if we jump to verse 5, you see, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So he's looking back, even before the creation of everything, when he, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit were united in one, and he had this glorious being, and there was nothing there except them in perfect unity. And then he looks forward to the future where he will be glorified again with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. So he's looking at two ends of eternity, but verse 1 is right at the pivotal point of history. And when we think of glory, we think of words like beautiful or gorgeous or creative or whatever. Think of beautiful scenes in nature, standing on the seashore, standing on a mountainside, looking at a sunset. For those of you who are creative in the arts, think about a beautiful picture or a painting. Or just imagine listening to a wonderful piece of music. I quite like old buildings, so I can imagine a, a sense of God's glory through beautiful buildings. Or think of the world of medicine. How much do we owe the glory to God for the medicines that we have now, the healing we have now. Think of these last 18 months. They've been difficult, but think of the glory of God that's enabled us to be here today, for instance. Perhaps we wouldn't be otherwise. Think of technology and education. We get snippets of the glory of God through these. But what does Jesus ask for? He's about to be betrayed, arrested, interrogated, condemned, unjustly tortured, and ultimately crucified on a criminal's cross. From a worldly perspective, he is to be abused, humiliated, and executed. From God's perspective, though, this is where God enabled victory to occur, leading to praise and honor. From God's perspective, it looks great. From ours, it looked like nothing. But he rose from death three days later, not a broken, crippled man, not a man physically under, just in a terrible state. He rose healed, physically healed, transformed. He rose strong and fit and immortal. As being, as he was seen by many, many witnesses. And that was quite a transformation. That's quite a victory. So in verse 5, the glory is in the future, in the presence of the Father, Having been raised into heaven, he will be exalted and praised and honoured. 
as the Lamb upon the throne. That was one of those songs we sang earlier. And John, in his letter, his revelation, draws an image of what that will look like. So just don't look up, I'll just read it for you. Revelation 7, reading from verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hand, and they, were, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Jesus. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. So as they look to the future, and that's the picture we have, it's pointing back to a moment in history at the cross. And I have this similar, I heard an analogy which I think was quite helpful for me. I hope this helps you. I want you to imagine an extraterrestrial arriving at the Oscars, okay? Hasn't got a clue what's going on. And all they see is a group of people standing at the front of this big auditorium holding these little statues called Oscars and everybody around them applauding and clapping and cheering them. And the extraterrestrials standing there going, what are they doing? Why are they getting applauded for holding these strange little uh, statues? And of course, the point is, it's not the standing with the statues that's important. It's the reason they were received those statues, pointing back to, for instance, if you don't know what these Oscars are for, why don't you go and watch Lord of the Rings, for instance? Go and see the cinematography. Go and see the costumes. Go and see the casting. Go and see the landscape in which this story that Tolkien wrote is being played out. Listen to the music. That is why these people have been awarded these Oscars. And this is the sense in which I think Revelation is being written here, this picture in um, Revelation 7 of these people, this multitude bigger than Wembley Stadium will be tonight. This multitude of people will be honouring God and Jesus on the throne because of what he did at the cross. And what we see at the cross is Jesus' glory. We get that from the sense that God's justice, God's justice, that the penalty of all sins, all injustices, all wrongs, that I and you and others around us have committed over and over again will be paid for by Jesus. We get the sense of God's faithfulness, that he promised that this would happen way back in history when we fell as a race. He promised a saviour, a redeemer. And then he said, nobody else can pay the sins for the sins that have been committed except my son Jesus. And he promised a king. He promised a king that would rule over everything. And that is the Jesus that rose again, defeating death. And he promised the truth, didn't he? He promised all the way through, this is what will happen. And it has. And he promises that all the truths that he offers in the future will be fulfilled. 
And he just wants to demonstrate his power over everything, over the devil and over death, the victory over death that offers us a victory over death if we trust in Jesus. And it promises to show that God is in control of everything, that he loves us, and the ultimate victory and glory will be to God and to Jesus. And that's the prayer that Jesus makes, isn't it? That's the glory of God that he requests. And what is his mission? Verse 3, right in the middle of verses 1 to 5, verse 3, and this is now eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Unless we know God the Father and Jesus the Saviour, we cannot know that eternal life. And it's not that he doesn't want us to know. He wants everyone to know. He wants everyone, including you and me, and anyone who's yet to believe, regardless of your tribe, or your nationality, or your culture, or your experience, or your social standing, or your education, or even your bank balance. He doesn't care. He just wants to know you know Jesus and come to Jesus. So verses 1 to 5 seek um, Jesus praying for his mission to present the word to his apostles to complete the work and to show and receive God's glory. Then in verses 6 to 19, moving on, he prays for the apostles and he prays for their mission, their work and their protection. Verse 6, I have revealed you, God the Father, to those whom you gave me, the apostles, out of the world, out of this first century society. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have obeyed, or the ESV talks about kept, your word. The words of God the Father through Jesus Christ came to the apostles. These apostles saw God in human form and through Jesus, God the Son, they came to know God the Father. They came to know Jesus' works and his words. Just think, as you go through the Gospels, we read of his healings, how he healed the lepers and paralyzed people. He, he healed the lady with the bleeding. He had power over nature. He calmed storms. He changed water into wine. He um, fed the 5,000. The raising of people from the dead. Jairus' daughter. The story of Lazarus, one of his friends. And then he... Most importantly of all, the forgiveness of sins, that story where the four friends lowered a man in a mat because he was paralyzed, through a roof to the floor, interrupted what he was saying, and it was more important to him that he forgave that paralyzed man's sins than he healed him. But he healed him anyway, but he forgave his sins. That was Jesus' work and then Jesus' words all around these healings, his entire life was consistent with what he was, uh, what he was doing and what he was saying. And they saw that. They lived it for three years. And then he says, bye, I'm off. Verse 7, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. And then as an aside, and I just want you to focus in on this, verse 9. 
A last prayer request. Verse 9, I pray for them. The ESV says, I am praying for them. Now, in in the context, that's for the apostles, but he's doing that for you and me right now. What greater words can you hear than Jesus is praying for you? Verse 10, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them, these apostles. And jumping to verse 18, I just want to pick up slightly on that. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them, these apostles, into the world. Jesus is sending them out into the world. This isn't global expansion of a business. This isn't a Ben and Jerry's model or a Costa model or anything like that. Nothing like McDonald's. This is apostles going out into the world to present the greatest thing in the world, the glory of God and the story of salvation and redemption for each and every one of us. He's going to send them out into the world that doesn't want to know them. And he says, therefore, I will remain in the world no longer, in verse 11, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. I... I'm coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name I gave the, you gave me, so that they may be as one as we are one. Verse 12. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. By that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. For three years, Jesus has protected these disciples For three years, they have known his security, his guarding, his protection. They know he will continue to protect them. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a simple life, but they know he will protect them going forward. And verse 15, therefore, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So they're not to go out and become a holy huddle, isolated from the world in which they are now part of they are protected but they're also not to go out in the world and become subsumed into it absorbed into the culture again it's not like they live three years of something very separate and then lose that for the rest of their lives they take what they've learned for the last three years and they take it into the world and they are to demonstrate that to live that to speak about it those first disciples will face jealousy lies deceit deceitfulness, vindictive and antisocial, violent behaviour. They will face persecution and ultimately many of them death. They will face the evil one, but they will be guarded and protected. And they will know a joy. They will know a joy in verse 13. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. This joy that he knows he's going to have in glory they will have that same joy. They will have that same joy. But they know it's not going to be easy. We don't read anywhere in here, unless anybody's got a different translation, where Jesus says, may they um, have an easy time doing this by putting their feet up, drinking a cup of tea and reading the newspaper. Anybody read that in that particular version? I don't see that anywhere. So we have this tension all the way through, this tension of joy and sorrow. And we're reminded we rejoice, 
with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. We carry that tension with us, but we have an internal joy. They have that internal joy as they went out. And Duncan, over these last couple of weeks, has been talking about the man of sorrows, the suffering servant, but he's also talked about the champion. So Jesus also is going to pray for their holiness. Sanctify them in verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. Make them holy through your word. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. And then he prays for their mission, as I've mentioned before. I have given them your word, and, you, and you, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So his prayer for his disciples, when you read through that and you pick out the key parts of it, is that they be guarded in the name of God. That they be set apart, holy. That they are to proclaim the words of Jesus to the world. That they, in doing so, will bring eternal life to those that hear them and believe in Jesus. Knowing it will not be easy, but knowing that their eternal future is guaranteed as well. So verse 1 to 5 tell us that Jesus prayed for his work and his glory. Jesus then in 6 to 19 here prays for his apostles, their work, their protection, and that they remain holy and they speak his truth. And then we come to verses 20 to 26. My prayer is not for them, uh, the ESV calls them these, <clears throat> alone, these apostles. I pray also for those, the subsequent followers, who will believe in me. That prayer was for you and for me too. How do we become believers of Jesus? How do any of you who are Christians come to be believers? It's because somebody told you. Somebody told you about Jesus. Maybe many people did. We see people, we see Christians living good lives, but unless you hear the word of Jesus proclaimed, you're unlikely to become a believer. Holy Spirit can do anything he wants to do, but unless we hear, we're unlikely to become believers. So there's something you just need to carry in your minds about that, and we'll come back to it in a minute. But what does Jesus also pray for with his apostles? He prays for unity, and he prays for unity in two parts. This is something I've misunderstood, and this is something I've learned through this. So let's just read it slowly. Verse 21. Verse 21. That all of them, the apostles, and the subsequent believers, that's you and me who believe, may be one. He's praying that you and I would reach back 2,000 years to the words that those apostles ate and lived and breathed and spoke. Those are the words we need to cling to 2,000 years ago. We don't cling to the culture of that day, we cling to the words that they know and understood and spoke. He also prays, secondly, just in verse 22, Father, just as you are in me... And I am in you, continue the sentence, don't put the full stop in there. May they also be in us. We are one with Jesus and God the Father. 
How many of you today feel you are in Jesus and in God the Father the same way Jesus and God the Father in each other? That was a humbling revelation for me. I am nowhere near that. I am nowhere near that. But that's what Jesus is praying for us, isn't it? That is what Jesus is praying. His last request, that is a prayer for you and me, that you and I are in Jesus, in God the Father, in the Holy Spirit, in the same way that they were united together themselves. What's the purpose of this unity, should we have it? I in them and you in me, verse 23, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Folks, if we had the kind of unity Jesus prayed for here, we probably wouldn't have to go out and proclaim it. They would see that unity and they'd say, I'd like a bit of that, please. I would like whatever you've got, please. That kind of unity is just hard to imagine, isn't it? Those in the world may know the love that, that and forgiveness and the eternity of God offered to them through the unity that we would have. We and they become part of God's story, his story, history. You know, this, I'm, I'm going to break from where I've just got here. I may run out of time. There's a couple of things that have struck me through today's society. One is that people want an identity. You know, people really want to be somebody. And actually, when you think about it, what greater identity can you have than being a part of God's family? Part one. You know, we talk about people wanting to have fame and fortune. That's great. But you and I can be prince and princesses in God's greatest kingdom ever for all time. You want an identity? That is an identity you can have in trusting in Jesus and what he's done for you. The other thing I think that's really interesting is people want to be famous. I don't know if you know that. And there was a, there was a survey about what do you want to be famous for? And actually, the majority of those people who wanted to be famous just wanted to be famous for being famous. Not having done anything, just to be famous. And of course, the way they do that is through their influencing on things like social media. Now, how about this for being famous? How about you and I become a part of his story? The greatest story ever. Now, the thing about an influencer or someone who wants to be famous today is probably in 50 years' time they will have been forgotten. But if you and I are part of God's story, we're part of God's story forever. Now, that is a tremendous thing to have. Why wouldn't you want to be a part of God's story? Okay. I am, as many of you know, I am involved in street pastors. And I just want to come back to this unity thing. We've got about volunteers from about 35 churches involved. Now, we go out on the streets and we do some amazing things. We do... A lot of good stuff that's just physical will help folk mentally. 
And occasionally we've had the privilege of praying people into the kingdom. But if I was to say we are unified in the way that's described in this passage, I would have to say possibly not. I would not really want to get into a deep doctrinal discussion with some of my fellow volunteers on the street with people because across those 35 churches, I think we would see big gaps. And I don't think the unity there is good in the public domain. We are united and we are unified as Christians. Of that, I am absolutely convinced. But at the depth where I could say we are united in Jesus, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, I can't say that. But the work we do is phenomenal. And I would never want to not be doing that. Because the more we grasp for that, the more we become united. And I think when I look at the folk that are involved in the Holiday Bible Club, for instance, there's a group of people who want to work together in the name of Jesus to bring God's word to P1 to P7 kids who may never have heard of anything about Jesus. Now that, to me, is a wonderful picture of unity and what a glorifying thing that is. Now I would be praying that I think, and this is where Jesus goes to, I think what he's praying for for us is that we would be united together, we would be holy together, we would seek to know God's truth more and more together, that you and I would grow spiritually. And the analogy, the only analogy I can come up with is I saw, I saw Lewis last week. Those of you know Lewis, young lad in our, uh, in our Connect group, youth group. And I haven't seen him for a while, and he shot up. And I hate to use the trite phrase, oh my, haven't you grown? But he had. And I think Jesus here is praying for each and every one of us that we would grow spiritually. And I would be saying to all of us, how could we grow spiritually over the coming year, for instance, to say in a year's time when somebody saw us, my, haven't you grown spiritually? Haven't we as a church grown spiritually? All right, to the point where we are in God's word, we are listening to folk like Duncan preaching the word really well. I'm sorry, I'm not very good at it, but preaching really well. Where we are in study groups together, meeting together to encourage one another, to comfort one another, to challenge one another, and yes, possibly to be disciplining one another. But that's the opportunity for us to become more and more unified as BCFC. And in a way, do I worry about other churches? I'd love to be unified with the other churches. But I'd love us as a church to be unified. But I'd also love us, and I do reach out to all of you, that we pray for those that aren't Christians right now. We've all got family or friends or neighbours who are not believers. And this is a prayer for them, isn't it? And that prayer becomes even more potent and more powerful when we are united together. So I'm going to finish there. I'm sorry, I've got two more pages to go, but I'm just going to finish there. Can I just, therefore, just close in a short prayer as, on a moment of thought? And let's just draw this to a close now.
Heavenly Father, I, I, I just want to thank you for this passage, this prayer of Jesus, his last final words that we have here to his disciples. Lord, he prayed that your glory would be visible and you made it so visible at the cross. Lord, you prayed for your disciples that they would be holy, that they would know your word, breathe your word, live your word and preach your word and proclaim it to those around them, that they would not be absorbed into society, they would be different and they would bring a message of hope, of forgiveness and a hope and a, a, a message of eternity with you, to be children of God, to be children with you. And then, Lord, you prayed for us, the church today and in the future. You prayed that we too would be those people, but we would be unified to the point we are in you, in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for every one of us that we would be like that. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.